0: You're listening to a StrangerCast at thestranger.com.
1: Hi, it's January 8th, 2020, and this is Blabbermouth, the Stranger Podcast, in which we talk about what's going on this week, Donald Trump versus Iran. We'll talk about it with Dan Savage, Rich Smith, and myself. After that, Donald Trump versus impeachment. We'll talk about that with the help of Katie Herzog, who will also take on the Iowa caucuses, which are coming right up one month from now. After that, Jasmine Keimig and Chase Burns are here to discuss what went down at the Golden Globes, what it all means, and who really should be nominated and win at the Oscars in February. But first, Dan Savage, Rich Smith, and me
2: on Donald Trump's standoff with Iran. Good morning, Rich. I just want to start this podcast by saying Iran will not get nuclear weapons while I'm on this show. Well, we are
3: 45 minutes. We're safe.
1: (laughs) Dan, good morning. Good morning. And happy new year to both of you and all the many millions of Blowermouth listeners. Uh, We begin and our ships at sea. (laughs) We begin the new year um, where no one has wanted to be on the edge of a war with Iran, with President Trump running the show. It sounds like this morning that the president has stepped back a little bit from his escalation with Iran. And just to try to recap all the events of the last week or so, President Trump ordered the assassination of an Iranian general, Qasem Soleimani, the Iranians said, we are definitely going to respond to this one. They fired ballistic missiles at two Oh, you're US- skipping
3: a really fascinating part of this whole thing where Trump ceded the moral high ground to Hezbollah oh, and right. the Iranian regime by threatening to bomb, to target 52 sites in Iran, including – Sites of cultural importance or religious right. importance, which is a war crime. Right, and Iran responded by saying, "We will not harm any non-combatant American citizen anywhere in the world." But Iran had the moral high ground suddenly in this dispute, which spilled out onto every news show because you had. Pompeo saying the president didn't say that and the president coming back and saying, oh, I did indeed say that. <laughs> well, And, he, and he then tweeted Kellyanne it. Conway, like the whole fucking clown and college then- got involved. Kellyanne Conway insisting that the president was just speculating and the reporters being like, but he's drawing up a list. He said he has a list. Yes, but the list is just speculative.
2: <laughs> oh, my God. God. And then Mark Esper ended up saying, "No, we're not going to uh, target cultural sites." And not that hypocrisy matters anymore, but Republicans are constantly yelling at Democrats for wanting, like, you know, what's our plan here in Iran? And then they say, um, we, "We're not going to um, tell you what the plan is because that would uh, reveal secrets <laughs> or whatever." Meanwhile, Trump is like, uh, "We got a list of fifty-two, like, you know, right. fifty-two sites showing where the bombings would be." So well, one site for uh, each American hostage seized in '79. That's I love that strategy—a metaphorical. Re- A metaphorically resonant strategy and not a military militarily um, productive one it
1: also reminds us that once again everything trump says or thinks seems to originate in the 1970s or even a 1950s conception of america (laughs) so he is still holding a grudge about the iranian hostage crisis and yeah had that list he tweeted about this and i know this is a petty rabbit hole to go down but it's just or relatively petty i guess i would say but it's just another reminder that The president can tweet a war crime on Twitter and that doesn't violate the terms of service. (laughs) So, okay. He did all of that. And the Iranians uh, fired ballistic missiles at two U.S. bases, but there were no U.S. casualties. Apparently Iran gave the Iraqi government, which is their
3: ally and their puppet in so many ways,
1: a heads up about where these missiles were going to land. And so now everyone has an opportunity to say, "Okay, that's enough. And amazingly, Trump seems to have taken it this morning. We will see. I went to bed last night thinking about all the times during the Trump campaign which I've tried to erase from my mind but all the times when he was like why don't we use nuclear weapons more. And so I just thought okay maybe he's going to follow through on all of that uh, insane belligerence but he had, he had actually floated firing nuclear weapons at hurricanes <laughs> to divert them. Right. That's right. So uh Right now, he's saying... Peace through strength, I guess, is what Trump tried to
2: say this morning. Peace through sanctions. He said he was going to ramp up the the sanctions on Iran, um, and the sanctions on Iran, which has helped to cripple their economy and cause unrest in the in this in the state, uh, is kind of what ticked Iran off in the first place and started this shooting war. I, I, I should say that uh, Trump pulling out of the the nuclear arrangement with Iran is what right. started this sort because of, the black guy did it. Because, right. Right. Nuclear, which was another thing... Yeah, with
3: Iran. Which was working, which all of our allies, which we've alienated, one of the, I think, most hilarious in this depressing, not funny at all situation is Pompeo out there complaining about how our allies aren't standing with us. Well, our allies have been being punched in the face by Donald Trump for three years. Of course, they're not standing with us as we provoke a war on their doorstep. And they
1: were with the United States in the Iranian nuclear deal. Mm-hmm. Which, which was working. Yeah. And which Trump, again, in his speech this morning, went out of his way to blame. He, he went as far as to say that these cash payments in connection with the Iranian nuclear deal, which he's so obsessed about and I'm not sure are real in the way he imagines Could them, not? were – actually used to buy the actual missiles that were shot at U.S. bases because Obama's bad. (laughs) Like this was this was part of his speech this morning. and uh so he's but he also
2: lied in this speech and said that you know the reason why that uh, uh, casualties were avoided was because we have some kind of uh, advanced uh system or, or a warning system that uh that yeah, triggered and was worked but the warning system was Iran telling Iraq <laughs> <laughs> that they were going to bomb these two bases in Akbar province uh from which the drone um uh, came to kill uh Soleimani. There's a video of Trump from
1: I'm not sure exactly when, but it's pre-President Trump when he is... It's pre the re-election of Barack Obama. Right. Pre-Obama's second term, where Trump is out there predicting the future from his office in Trump Tower. (laughs) And uh, he's saying, you know, I'm sure that President Obama is just going to start a war with Iran to get re-elected, which did not happen. But as a really smart commentator whose name, I'm sorry, I can't remember wrote recently the closest Trump ever seems to get to telling the truth about himself is projection. And so here he is saying, well, this is what Obama would do, but really what he's saying if I were president, this is what I would do. No
3: puppet, you're the puppet. Right. It's the projection presidency. Right.
1: And here we are
3: with no, But that's not just that's not new under Trump. Republicans have been doing that for decades to accuse your opponent of the sins that you are guilty of yourself. George W. Bush... Uh, avoided uh, service in Vietnam and w- disappeared into the Texas Air Force National Guard, which is where people parked their rich sons, didn't show up. There's no record of him showing up to do his service and was running against John Kerry, who was a legit straight-up war hero in Vietnam, and they accused him of cowardice. They uh, wore uh, band-aids with purple hearts on them at the Republican National Convention when George W. Bush was running for reelection. What they did to Max Cleland, who lost three limbs in Vietnam, and they attacked him as uh, a buddy or friend of Osama bin Laden's and somebody who is a, a threat to the United States and not a patriot. They've always done this. They've always – and I think the, the biggest one and the most ongoing scam is that Democrats and Democratic politicians are the elitists. You know, Obama eats hamburgers with mustard and you wouldn't want to have a beer with Al Gore. They're always accusing Democrats of being cultural elitists while Republicans are the economic elitists who are filleting. The millionaires and billionaires. I can't mm-hmm. do Bernie as well as you do. <laughs> um, and it's, it's not new. Trump didn't invent this Republican strategy of projecting onto your opponents that which you are guilty of yourself. That is from the Republican playbook. Carl Rove, Lee Atwater, back 50 years to Nixon.
1: Another thing that a lot of people are pointing out in terms of Republican hypocrisy, and as Rich said, hypocrisy seems not to matter anymore. So I agree with that. But for why hypocrisy
3: not? to matter, you need people capable of feeling shame. Yeah. Republicans right. are no longer capable of feeling shame.
1: But the uh, some of the commentators are pointing out the very easy to spot hypocrisy in Trump's uh, Middle East policy, such as it is which is that he ran on this promise of getting out of conflicts in the Middle East. No more war, you know, isolationism, America first. What are we doing over there in the sandbox? And now here he is potentially precipitating a big conflict in the Middle East. He's managed to avoid it for now, but there's no uh there's no reason to think that the missiles launched at the US bases in Iraq are the final, final end of what Iran is going to do in response to the killing of this general. In fact, Iran has suggested that it's only the first wave and they tend – the Iranians tend to use proxies sometimes for uh, reprisals that they don't want to conduct out in the open themselves. So it's very easy to imagine that what Trump has done over the last weeks will through a maybe slower than you know three-day process – lead to deeper U.S. involvement in Iraq and uh, potentially Iran, which is the opposite of what Donald Trump ran on.
2: Yeah, this was a strategic blunder. Uh, There was a a great piece in Vox talking about uh, um, sort of uh, unrest, protests in the streets in Iraq uh, and Iran uh, because of the economic sanctions. People are mad about uh, bread and butter issues there, and uh, this was an opportunity or we we could have had if we wanted to pursue a diplomatic uh, route, had an opportunity to – you know, prop up those protests um, and, you know, uh, and, and and potentially advocate or agitate for uh, revolution or, or change uh, in those countries from within. But um, Trump took to Twitter, uh, started a sh- shooting war and has ensured that Iran will uh, not participate in any aspect of the nuclear uh, agreement uh, that was that was reached under Obama, uh, which has made uh around a more volatile and potentially dangerous, uh, place, uh, all because, uh, Trump didn't like what he saw on TV.
3: So, which was a black guy for eight years. <laughs> <and the rest.
2: laughs> well, yeah, he says it, it was, um, uh, the, yeah, the people, uh, laying siege on the American embassy and that was embarrassing for him. And so they, uh, Went with the old Iraq War playbook, but uh, expedited by saying that there was an uh, immediate or imminent attack, though they didn't provide any evidence for it, and then used that to justify um, uh, bombing.
1: Meanwhile, quickly, it's worth noting that this all has a million uh, consequences that we can't uh, fully see or fathom, but one of them is the treatment of Iranian-Americans here in the United States. In
2: Washington state.
1: Right. Rich was following uh, the Iranian-Americans who were held for a long time reportedly at the U.S. border with Canada.
2: Yeah, at at, uh, Blaine, uh, after uh, Trump assassinated Soleimani, uh, people were uh, coming over from... uh, Canada, uh, at, the, at the crossing in, in Blaine, Washington. Um, about 200 uh, people uh, of Middle Eastern and mostly Iranian descent were uh, detained at the uh, border facility there. Um, they had their passports taken, their car keys taken, and they were sat in a room and uh, questioned. American citizens. American citizens. Questions about
3: their uh, allegiance, most of whom came to the United States in 1979 after the Iranian revolution who fled the current regime
2: for this country yeah. are being questioned at the border. Children, you know, families, you know, the reports of, you know, mothers having to, you know, tell their kids that everything is fine and then going out and, 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 finding a corner to cry uh privately um and the border patrol says that uh, there was no such uh order given to detain only um iranian uh, americans or people of middle eastern descent but uh people who were there reported that only those people were detained and that um, you know every people of other nationalities and, and white people were and uh, free, waved off and free to go
3: and we don't yet know if
2: this are rogue
3: border patrol agents in one place overrun by racist shitbags, but clearly we have learned nothing in this country since, world, since the internment of the Japanese. We interred the Japanese because they were people of color, color of skin, while Germans and Italians were allowed to run around the country. <laughs> um, many Germans had been active in the American-German uh, Bund, which was a pro-Nazi organization in the United States before the declaration of war. They weren't rounded up and interred because they were white. And here, again, it's it's like we have learned... Nothing.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's an old point, but the the cruelty is the point. You know, we get we start the war here, and then that gives the uh, Trump administration license to crack down on Muslims and or Middle East or Mexicans or whoever it is that they want to point to, um, to just you know to justify their cruelty.
1: Speaking of searching for a point in all of this, here's a question to ponder: Would Donald Trump? try to inflame the Middle East and maybe start a war with Iran just to distract from impeachment, we will talk about that next. Rich, are you ready to be pissed? I am. Did you know that in this country, over $218 billion of food goes to waste every single year, including 20 billion pounds of produce? No, I didn't. That... Scandalous waste is what Imperfect Foods is here to change. Imperfect Foods is the only food delivery service that buys the perfectly nutritious and delicious foods grocery stores won't sell and delivers them to you at a discount so you can save money and help reduce food waste.
2: Yeah, down with these unrealistic beauty standards for food.
1: Imperfect Foods sources directly from farmers committed to quality and delivers delicious imperfect groceries to you for up to 30% less than grocery stores. I've got my order ready. I'm getting some imperfect fruits and vegetables Mm -hmm. because in the end, like an apple with a little blemish, you can eat it.
2: Yeah, I've got a pound of organic beets coming my way. Pound of or a couple organic uh, grapefruits coming my way. I'm gonna do a beet grapefruit salad that is is gonna is gonna be made from imperfect fruits, but it's gonna make a perfect salad.
1: I've got what they call some imperfect dairy coming. Okay, which I will say, kind of scared me at first, but then I thought I need to check my dairy privilege Mm -hmm. and just try it because it probably just means the box of milk or the carton is a little dinged mm-hmm. and it's fine mm-hmm. or you know the uh wrapping around the cheese which is just fine is a little dinged up also somehow well, whatever and, and you some, can eat
2: it sometimes grocery stores will like uh throw away or reject dairy that's going to be uh like bad in a week rather than 2 weeks and so i think that you're getting some some of those so just use it up drink it straight from the carton yeah like i do anyway
1: for your bones Imperfect Foods' flexible plans let you pick healthy, seasonal produce alongside grocery staples. Along with quirky-looking but delicious produce, you can also get surplus coffee, discolored quinoa, off-size eggs, slightly scarred almonds, and more. Read about Imperfect Foods in the New York Times, Bloomberg, and Forbes, or ask any of their over 200,000 satisfied customers. Start saving time, saving money, and saving waste right now because when you go to ImperfectFoods.com slash Blabbermouth, now through February 16th, you'll get $10 off your next four orders. That's a total of $40 off. Just go to ImperfectFoods.com slash Blabbermouth to get $10 off your next four orders. ImperfectFoods.com slash Blabbermouth and enter Blabbermouth at checkout. Katie Herzog, good morning. Good
0: morning, Eli.
1: Dan was saying during the break that you could rephrase the question I was just asking as, is there anything Donald Trump wouldn't stoop
3: to do? Of course he would instigate a war to distract from impeachment. There's already people out there, Trump sycophants, uh, Trump toadies, people who invited to the White House with Donald Trump and hang out at Mar-a-Lago, suggesting that we're at war. It's wartime
1: and you can't impeach a president during more time and the president himself it has been tweeting it's so unfortunate that all this hoax impeachment stuff is going on and i'm so very very extra busy right
0: now." right I, someone needs to log on to his netflix and see if he's watched wag the dog recently
1: <laughs> yeah well we should all rewatch watch wag the dog at this point Katie uh did you see the news that John Bolton who for a long time was refusing to testify in the house impeachment inquiry now says he's willing to make himself available to the Senate
0: If he if subpoenaed he's willing to make himself available to the Senate which seems like he's like if forced to do the thing that I'm being forced to do I will do the thing but Except yes he's But he's not.
3: saying that knowing that the Senate Republicans aren't going to subpoena right. him
0: Right so is he? Is this like? Do you think he's just pissed at Trump because he got fired? Wait, did he get fired? or Did he resign? I, like the- that's
1: still unclear, right? Yeah. What um what do you make of what has changed? Like, is there some reason that Bolton is now saying he's
0: available? I have no idea. I mean, I I'm not inside John Bolton's head. Thank God. <laughs> but uh, you know, my instinct is that um don't trust John Bolton. But then again, don't trust Donald Trump. Don't trust Mitch McConnell. I don't know what the fuck's happening.
1: What about Nancy Pelosi's strategy here on impeachment? I know in the last blabbermouth of 2019, I went on a bit of a tear praising Nancy Pelosi for her impeachment patience and strategy and withholding the articles. And I kind of think that's been proven right. Nancy Pelosi still is not giving the articles of impeachment to Mitch McConnell, which has created this sort of vacuum and also uh an extra time for things to tumble out and things are tumbling out emails uh and more there it's hard to get attention to them because of what's going on in iran but also john bolton has had enough time to think and watch court decisions and say he's willing to testify and at least to people who you know as dan said have a sense of shame or a moral compass It seems to raise the pressure on Mitch McConnell to actually call witnesses, but
0: he he is not. uh, Mitch McConnell is immune to pressure from Democrats. I don't think that Mitch McConnell will do anything that will potentially hurt him or Donald Trump.
3: And there's nothing he won't lie about. And
0: there's nothing he won't lie about.
3: He might say, I will call witnesses to get the articles of impeachment sent over from the House and then just refuse to call witnesses. changed my mind. I wanted to point something out while we're on the impeachment uh, topic. Three weeks ago, four weeks ago, we were talking about impeachment and we suggested that maybe Trump could be impeached again Uh because he's committed other impeachable offenses. And after we talked about it, not because we talked about it, I'm sure they don't listen, but the Washington Post has a big piece. Could Democrats impeach Trump twice? They might have to in the plumb line by Paul Waldman. So this idea that Trump might be impeached again isn't just your crazy uh, podcasters in in, uh, stranger towers in Washington state. This is being discussed in... You know, the pages of the Washington Post we might have to impeach him again for impeachable offenses with the White House counsel, Don Don McGahn, ordering him to lie is an impeachable offense, and that's working its way through the court. So if they do send it and Trump is acquitted, the Democrats have the option. I think the responsibility to impeach the motherfucker not already, impeach <laughs> the motherfucker again. <laughs> ITMFA. Have, yeah,
0: you don't even have to change the t shirts. No nope. I mean, but then he would just get acquitted again.
3: Yes, he to be the only president in U.S. history impeached twice. Which he would and that would leave a mark. Up. No, 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 no. He does not like.
0: I, he, he wants to be the biggest and the best at everything. Biggest, best, worst at everything. Two impeachments, better than one.
1: It's always maddening but interesting to keep an eye on the false narrative that Republicans are going for here. So if you listen to McConnell and Rubio and who's the Lindsey Graham? Oh, yes. What they are setting up here is well, the House didn't hear from these witnesses, and they leave out the fact that the house didn't hear from these witnesses because they refused mostly at trump's orders to appear before a legitimate impeachment, which is part inquiry. of the obstruction of Congress right. charge in the articles right. of impeachment a, a part is of the, about this very fact right, so part of the commission of the crime or the obstruction is the refusal to provide witnesses and documents, but they gloss over that the senators who are who are uh, creating this storyline, and they say. Okay, well, the house didn't hear from these witnesses, and so we can only work with what the house sends us. We're we're just stuck by the, you know, four walls of their impeachment findings, and we'll look at those, but we can't go outside of it. And so, sorry, we'll you, just deal with the hand that we were dealt, which is now a month and a half old. Well, other things have happened in the meantime that have added new evidence. And during the impeachment of Bill Clinton for a blowjob, for perjuring himself
3: about a blowjob, for lying about a blowjob, the Senate took testimony from Monica Lewinsky and other witnesses who did not testify before the House. It wasn't live. They didn't grill them on the floor of the Senate during the trial. They took independent test- testimony from these people, subpoenaed them and took testimony. The Senate can do this but won't. And Mitch McConnell can't be forced to do anything. There's nothing he won't lie about and no
1: lever of power that he won't abuse if he can he can though be forced if four republicans i think uh align with democrats on the rules for the trial so that's the only only way to do it right now and you have one so far mitt romney who's saying he wants to hear from witnesses you could add susan collins and lisa murkowski if they would come around and want to hear witnesses. And then maybe they find one other Republican out there who actually wants to have a legitimate fact finding trial in the Senate. And if we could just pick four <laughs> kernels of corn from this turn, <laughs> everything will be beautiful. Where are the leprechauns? Where's my pony? All right. It's not well, going to happen.
0: But your optimism is appreciated, Eli.
1: Thank you. So, All right, we'll wait and see what happens with Mitch McConnell's stonewalling, Nancy Pelosi's uh, foot dragging, I guess, on sending the articles of impeachment, strategic foot dragging. And meanwhile, we are one month from the Iowa caucuses. And Joe Biden seems to be kind of in position to win, according to some polls. You can look at others and see bernie but it it seems to be at the moment and things change moment by moment but it seems to be biden versus bernie in iowa
0: or okay so i was joking about this at a previous blabbermouth about a biden bernie candidacy but but let's just think about this for a minute (laughs) so the problem that biden has is that he doesn't have any momentum with young people young people are not motivated to vote for joe biden they don't fucking like him they're motiv- motivated to vote for Bernie Sanders. If Bernie doesn't win the nomination, my fear is that they're not going to show up to vote or they'll go and they'll write in Bernie or vote for Jill Stein or whoever. Biden, however, has the momentum from the old. So <laughs> we just take the Bernie Biden candidate. We, we mash them together into one, one B on B super group <laughs> and that's it. We've won.
3: A combined age of about one hundred and sixty-four. years Older w- than the kingdom of Belgium. It will
0: actually they will be older than Methuselah, but they'll only last for a couple of years, and then you appoint a good, you know, who's next in line, secretary of who's next in line after the so vice president, the
1: speaker, the speaker of, the of the house. Speaker of the
0: house. So Don't you, you
3: remember? You yeah. guys?
0: Oh yeah, that's <laughs>
3: my plan to put Hillary to Clinton into the White House. Okay,
0: so you name Hillary Clinton, speaker of the house.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. However, I have been thinking. Well. Okay, maybe Bernie is going to win in Iowa. And what happens to Elizabeth Warren, who was having a big moment a while back, but seems to have dropped into third or fourth place at the moment? Maybe a Bernie Warren ticket would work. Oh, God, no. Why no?
0: Well, I think that Warren has... I think that Warren has hired the wrong people to advise her on this campaign. She has really doubled down on identity politics, which is incredibly divisive in this country. And I think it's a losing point. So Bernie, at least, Warren in 2010 was all about class. It was all about the consumer, all about, all about protecting the, the lower and middle class from the, from the elites. And she has sort of doubled down on this like intense elitist identity politics that is a huge turnoff to most Americans.
1: Have you turned on Warren?
0: Yes, I-, I have turned on Warren. What I, was
3: the moment? And, and Ber- Well, quickly though, Bernie refused to go to the two LGBTQ right. blah, 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 town halls. This, this was the moment. Very that I
0: turned controversially. On Warren, on Warren,
3: yeah. uh, Bernie seems to have a sense to handle the kind of identity politics sort of. Tumblr, Twitter wars world of it with tongs and 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 Warren has sort of rushed to it and attempted to brace in the same way Harris did in the same and, way that uh, Cory Booker has to, to to no lift to no effect.
0: It does not win you points in the polls at all. I mean, maybe you get a few more a few more like nineteen year olds willing to vote for you, but that's not really who needs who you need to win it. You know, to win the general election. So Warren
1: here. lost you at the LGBTQ. Yeah, it was the term.
0: moment where she said somebody asked her a question about, and I think we talked about this on the.
1: We
0: did. But there was a moment when somebody asked her, What do you do when you're on the campaign trail and someone says to you, I don't support same sex marriage? And I'm a gay person, I support same sex marriage. As do I assume both of the gay, the
3: gay, the, 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 the two gay married
0: men on the panel. <laughs> the on the panel. But she had this incredibly condescending answer. She said basically something like, if you don't want to get gay married, don't get gay married, get straight married if you can find somebody straight, to straight marry or whatever. It was just this, it was her like deplorable moment where she just wrote off the, you know, the large majority, or not majority, the, uh, the large minority of the population that doesn't support same sex marriage. And even as a gay person who supports same sex marriage, I just, in terms of tactics, it's just a poor one.
1: Did you watch The View this week, though?
0: I did not watch The View this week, no. Was she on it?
1: Elizabeth Warren was on The View, and she was not doing uh, what you were describing her as doing too much of. She was back to the economic populist argument. She should stick with that. Talking about the wealth tax, talking about inequality. A lot of people think what
3: really sent Warren's numbers tumbling wasn't identity politics, wasn't slinging pronouns. What sent it tumbling was her full-on embrace of Medicare for all and that she rolled out this plan and that seems to be you know everybody wants health insurance and when you describe medicare for all as sort of a buy-in uh, or or in different ways or getting to medicare for all as a process it's more popular than just we're going to take your private health insurance away people are afraid to lose what they've got even if what they've got they know isn't as insufficient or awful, they're afraid of being left with nothing. or left with the post office of healthcare systems. It's an irrational fear, but it's a fear, and that seems to be what really hurt uh, Warren. Well, was I, trying to out Bernie, Bernie on Medicare for all. But and Bernie not, at least,
0: Bernie is at least willing to talk about how he'd paid for it. When she just refuses. no, Warren
3: talked about how she rolled out the whole plan on how. Well, to I pay know for it. when
0: she when she's asked, "Are you going to raise taxes on the middle class?" She refuses to say. Yes. Which is fine because cost is cost. Like it doesn't matter if you're paying more in taxes or you're paying more for healthcare or whatever. But her refusal to sort of just like say this thing that she needs to say, it just, it's obfuscating. It just makes her look shady.
1: Well, what she said on The View is that she is raising taxes on uh, people with more than $50 million in income and basically the 1%. That is who she is overtly raising taxes on. And then there's this debate about what Medicare for all will do in terms of costs paid by the middle class. But she that has been her line. She's trying to say taxes will be raised on the wealthy, not on the middle class. I really wish one of them had just stood up and said,
3: we're gonna make a public option available, should have been a part of Obamacare. It's a Medicare buy-in for the average person and it's gonna be easy to do and within reach. And then Americans get to vote with their feet. If Americans want to end private health insurance, they can by opting into Medicare for all in this easy way, opting into a public option, instead, we got a lot of scary rhetoric about putting people in the insurance industry out of work about which I think is bullshit, like no one hesitates to put people in retail out of work or to put people in truck driving with automated trucks coming very soon out of work but I mean, you know, that these middle class white collar jobs when you talk about ending them, everybody gets a little like spazzy in the media because we know these people right because these people are friends with people right at the Washington Post and the new york Times and and, and the the wise thing would have been yeah, we're going to end private health insurance if that's what Americans want to do. Here's how Americans can do that if they want, as opposed to I'm going to do it as president by dick That's can listen the to you.
1: Buttigieg, right. uh, Medicare for all who want it.
0: Right, but that's like. too neoliberal. We can't have that.
1: Quick question, and this is really kind of a yes or no. Uh, Amy Klobuchar is having a kind of, I think, media manufactured moment where there's a lot of articles about, wait a minute, Amy Klobuchar could be the one, she's mainstream, moderate, and she's actually
0: practical. And she's Midwestern.
1: And she's Midwestern and she's one in And conservative... Rachel Dratch needs to, to
3: <laughs> stay on SNL for eight more years. Right. Because she's
1: just, amazing. Just yes or no. Are you buying the Amy Klobuchar bubble? I don't think she. no. Dan? No. All right. Done with that. Next, we're going to talk about the Golden Globes. Rich, it's a new year. Time for some new habits. I know especially when it comes to your mouth, like brushing your teeth more regularly. I actually know (laughs) that this happens to be one of the habits you've already got on lockdown because you have the quip. That's right. Which, if you haven't heard from us already, is an electric toothbrush that helps you keep the good habits you have if you're brushing enough and regularly or improve your brushing habits If you need to, which is one of the most important things you can do for your dental health in 2020? That means brushing for two minutes twice a day and flossing regularly, no matter what brand you use. And Quip makes it simple, starting with an electric toothbrush, refillable floss, and anti cavity toothpaste. Quip's electric brush has sensitive sonic vibrations with a built in timer and 30 second pulses to guide a full and even
2: clean it's a gentle dental dom
1: equip floss dispenser comes with pre-marked string to help you get just enough not too much plus quip delivers fresh brush heads floss and toothpaste refills to your door every three months with free shipping so your routine is always right join over 3 million healthy mouths and get quip today starting at just 25 dollars And if you go to getquip.com slash blabbermouth right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash blabbermouth spelled G E T Q U I P dot com slash
2: blabbermouth.
1: Quip the good habits company. Jasmine Kybig, hello. Hello. Chase Burns, hello. Hello. You both waited for and watched the Golden Globes, yeah. and uh, some things made you happy. Let's start with those.
4: Yeah, so I um, I was really happy to see that Aquafina won Best at, uh, Actress in a Musical or Comedy. She's the first actress of Asian descent to win, and she gave this really great speech that thanked her co-stars, her director, her family, um, and she's... She made a bunch of jokes and it it was good. It was good to see her win.
1: And she won for... uh,
4: Her performance in The Farewell.
1: And most people, if they know Aquafina, know her for a kind of cameo or minor role in... Crazy Rich Asians, yeah.
4: Or she, she's also a rapper. Um, she had this really great song, "My Vag," which is based off this other song called "My Dick." Um, but yeah, so that that's that's probably where you've seen Aquafina if you haven't seen her in the farewell.
1: But she's made this really interesting transition. Not, uh, is there anyone else who has successfully gone from a uh, rapper to minor role in a uh, comedy to a serious? Golden Globe Award to leading actress. I don't. I don't think there's a direct parallel.
4: (laughs) I'm thinking Snoop Dogg jumped in my brain just because he went from rapper and then he starred in this film called Baby Boy. He didn't win an Oscar though, or he didn't win a Golden Globe.
5: And she could win an Oscar. And
4: she could win an Oscar.
1: All right. Other highlights from the Golden Globes?
5: Um, I, this is a little bit smaller, but this really stood out to me. In the best animation category, you had all these gigantic heavyweights. You had the Lion King remake, which is actually the highest grossing animated film of all time. The second highest grossing animated film of all time is Frozen 2. And that was also nominated along with Toy Story 4, which people thought was going to win. And then the Golden Globes, because they love to throw a wrench in things, gave it to a little film out of the Pacific Northwest called Missing Link, which is from a studio called Laika, which is based out of Portland. And that studio also made Paranormand. Uh, they made a lot of sort of alternative stop-motion films. And Missing Link is about a Sasquatch who doesn't have any family and wants to find uh, his family in the uh Himalayans, he wants to find the Yeti also is a little gender queer. Um, arguably trans. We got our first trans Sasquatch. It's a very, it's a very
4: queer animation. <laughs>
5: yeah. It's actually surprising. We watched it only after it won because we were like, what is this? It bombed at the box office. It was they spent a hundred million dollars making it and they made twenty five million dollars. So they lost seventy five million dollars. Twenty six million. Yeah. So they lost around seventy five million dollars on this film and they won the Golden Globe and it Sort of leading that they might win the Oscars. So I think that race is sort of interesting. And it was hilarious
4: to see because they uh, were really put really far in the back. The full, like they behind were the last the table.
1: Uh, so they had to make the very first. Yeah, slow and so they walk. were coming
4: forward and they just looked shocked and they are like, I have no idea what to say. They're like, I have no
5: speech. <laughs> they beat the most, the highest grossing anime films of all time, which they beat I thought Disney. that was remarkable. And I think that that actually sort of leans into uh, other stories from the night, which is that. The Golden Globes didn't reward Netflix necessarily. it didn't reward the streaming giants um, and it really sort of seemed to be like go see movies in film, I mean in theaters um, which we which we've we've heard that before from the awards
4: right, so what we also noted was that the Irishman and Marriage Story, both Netflix uh, films, were highly favored to win, were widely nominated, and the Irishman won nothing, and the marriage story only won. One award for Laura Dern. Um, and which best was supporting actress, because- Which was controversial. Which was controversial because it shut out, uh, Jennifer Lopez. For her role as Ramona, a veteran stripper in Hustlers, mm-hmm. which everyone wanted to win. And I, I loved that performance as well.
1: And I do remember some predictions from oh, yeah. Blabbermouth for Jennifer Lopez winning. I don't know if it was a Golden Globe. It was but- a
5: Golden Globe. And honestly, she, sh- she should have won. Laura Dern was, was good. I, many of them were good. But I thought J-Lo gave the more remarkable performance
4: and i would love to see her on stage and winning for that
5: yeah i would love to see laura dern try to do a pole dance to um like like j-lo be a veteran stripper i'm still mad
1: and ricky gervais spoke truth to hollywood power
4: uh, I guess. yeah yeah sure i mean that's he, what twitter told yeah. yeah drinking a warm beer on stage and <laughs> making jokes about judy dench you know licking her own puss um Yeah, sure.
5: The best jokes were also that he kept making Harvey Weinstein jokes, which were really cringy. But then he did this thing where he flipped it on the whole room and he was like, you were all his friends. You let him do it. And that was exciting to watch because everyone like laughed and they were like, yeah, that's true. (laughs) It was, you know, I thought that was. It didn't do anything, but it was interesting.
1: Also, he said some things about how anyone in the room would kind of turn around and sell their acting to the highest bidder. But talk it, they a real. Said,
5: he said if ISIS made a streaming platform, they would perform on the ISIS streaming platform, which was a little farther than the truth. But uh, maybe, I mean, yeah, a
1: lot of them probably would. So right on the heels of the Golden Globes come the BAFTAs, which... I didn't know were a thing.
4: Yeah. So they, yeah, they're this British. They're basically the British version of the Academy Awards, in pre- in terms of prestige.
1: Can I ask maybe a stupid question? But you were you were uh, bringing me up to speed on the Hollywood foreign press, right? And how they get to have their hands in a whole other award uh, giving out, but also the British press gets its own special award.
4: Yeah. So the Baftas are basically the same. Uh, amount of prestige as the Oscars in, in the United Kingdom. And, um, there, this also came with a lot of controversy. There were no women directors nominated. There were no actors of color nominated. And Margot Robbie was nominated in the best supporting actress category for two different roles. Uh, one for her role as Sharon Tate in, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, in which she famously almost never spoke, and the other for her role as a journalist in Bombshell, which is about um, Roger Ailes and the Fox News kind of sexual harassment case.
1: And the concern here is that the BAFTAs very often are a preview of who's actually going to win at the Oscars.
5: Yeah, they're a predictor of who of who gets nominated, and so what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of the same trends. So a lot of the people who were nominated for the Golden Globes, it looks like that's probably going to be what the Oscars looks like as well, because we have these other uh, races and these other nominations that are that are sort of conform- confirming that. And as we talked about last time, you know, there were no female directors nominated in, at the Golden Globes either, and so we're sort of seeing this trend where we think that a lot of these really stunning, large, successful little women has been very successful this season. And mm-hmm. uh, films are just going to be kicked out of the Oscars. And again, it's just, uh, yeah. It's, it's so frustrating.
4: It's just frustrating, <laughs> you know? And because we have more women directors than ever, we have more actors of color than ever, and you're just going to ignore a lot of their roles or nominate the ones um, like Cynthia Irvina was nominated for her role as Harriet. Tubman and Harriet, you know, and so you're you're nomin when you are nominating actors of color, it's for these roles like being a slave <laughs> or you you know when there's a lot more breadth of 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 roles that have been out there.
5: Yeah, and we used to hear these excuses that it was because there weren't other options, you know, it was like well there's just Harriet and it's like that's that's becoming more and more untrue and it was always untrue and it's so obvious now and that's what's becoming very very frustrating. And I think it's I think viewers are responding to it too. We see that viewers are less and less engaged with these sorts of award shows and we see that viewers go out to these big, you know, Black Panther was a huge success. So we see that viewers like this. We we Viewers like seeing themselves on screen. And so it, it's stunning that we still, as nomination bodies, aren't able to give nominations to the, the films that people are loving and
1: seeing. So as Dan mentioned in an earlier segment, Blabbermouth predicted all the conversation about Trump maybe having to be impeached twice. If we're going to use the power of the podcast to... Uh, kind of create the future here. Who should actually be at the top of the list for consideration at the Oscars, never mind winning an Oscar, especially people who have so far at the Golden Globes or, and the BAFTAs in particular been snubbed?
4: I mean, I would love, I mean, Bong Joon-ho, who directed Parasite, he's a Korean director. He's been nominated across the board, um, but I would love to see him win. I would love to see the actors from the film nominated as well. They've been largely overlooked. And I think obviously Greta Gerwig's Little Women should absolutely be up there in the directing, screenplay, acting uh, categories as well.
5: Yeah, I think the the, the, ditto, obviously, we love Parasite. Um, Have you seen Parasite yet? Parasite's my number one recommendation from last year, and it's still in theaters. It's actually, it's had this long rollout, and people keep going to see it. And uh, Lulu Wang, the director, she talked about uh, at this director's roundtable with Martin Scorsese, they were all talking about how Martin Scorsese was obviously saying how streaming services give him a sort of really wide reach that I guess theatrical releases never did. And she was like, well, actually, I wouldn't be at this table if it wasn't for Therese, theatrical releases because it, it, she was offered uh, a, an offer by a streaming platform, presumably Netflix, and she turned it down because she was like, in the slow release of theaters, I have more of an edge and I'm actually able to, to be seen. And We've really seen that with Lulu Wang. It's a, it's a tale of an amazing story, but also of how theatrical releases are still really important.
4: The Farewell.
1: The mm-hmm. Farewell is your uh, pick. Mm-hmm. Alright, well the Oscars are February 9th so we have a little bit of time.
4: And nominations are announced on Monday.
1: Okay. All right. Well, we'll look for that. Chase, thank you. Thank you. Jasmine, thank you. Thank you. And that's the show. If you've got something you want to say to Jasmine Kymig, Chase Burns, Katie Herzog, Rich Smith, Dan Savage, or me, call the Blabberphone 206 302 2063 or dive on into our Blabbermouth Podcast Facebook group. Thanks as always to Ahime Filet J. Aluo for making the music we use on the show each week and to Nancy Hartunian for bringing our blabbering mouths to your ears.